Hey everyone, my name is OJ Tucker, host of the OJ Tucker podcast, the only comedy tennis podcast that talks about our political and societal culture as a whole. My name is OJ Tucker, as the name would suggest. Happy Tuesday. Hopefully you guys enjoyed your weekend, spending time with your family, your friends, watching the Miami Open final as well. There's a little bit of news that we can get into for today. In terms of news outside of the tennis world, we can discuss Will Smith resigning from the academy. And hopefully this is the last time I'll ever talk about Will Smith because screw that man. And yeah, whatever. Uh, that's Hopefully this is the last time we'll ever discuss Will Smith on this podcast because any person that's anti-comedy, I... I I, you know, cut them off, but we can, we can discuss that. We can also discuss Gerard Carmichael releasing a special on HBO last Friday at 9 PM. And the big thing that happened with Gerard Carmichael is him coming out. So we'll discuss that. We can also discuss Louis CK winning a Grammy yesterday on Grammy Sunday and just why it doesn't matter because of the fact that Louis C.K. has a fan base in our audience, and it really doesn't matter uh, his Grammy or not. You know, getting validated from the industry doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things. We can discuss that. Uh, we can also discuss Daniel Medvedev being out for one to two months due to hernia injury in terms of news within the tennis world. And we can obviously end with my weekly pick, which unfortunately for a lot of you guys, it will be a comedy special, so my apologies. But I felt like because of the Chris Rock, Will Smith thing, it's only appropriate for me to recommend something from Chris Rock. So we'll get into my weekly pick and at the end of the at the end of the podcast. But where we'll lead off and the biggest story within the tennis world that we can discuss will be the Miami Open final between Carlos Alcaraz, Alcaraz versus Casper Ruud. So if you guys didn't watch, Carlos Alcaraz beat Casper Ruud seven five six four in straight sets. It was quite one-sided, especially in that second set. It was overall going to Casper Ruud's direction in that first set, but Alcaraz was just able to sort of make the correct adjustments to his game, and as a result, won that first set pretty decidedly, uh, winning the next six out of the last seven games that in that first set. But the reason as to why Carlos Alcaraz beat Casper Ruud in this match was because of the fact that he was able to utilize a drop shot which we've been accustomed to be seeing from Carlos Alcaraz, using the drop shot, uh, using the drop shot, uh, being able to hit passing shots that were out of reach for Casper Ruud, and making Casper Ruud leave the baseline and come to the net. And there was an infographic or a statistic in that second set early on, the, early on in that second set, where it said net uh, points one of the net, and for Carlos Alcaraz, he was like. Four out of eight, I would say. Five out of eight, which is pretty good. I'm not going to lie, pretty good statistic. For Casper Ruud, it was nine out of 18. and So he had a 50% win percentage at the net. And it doesn't sound bad. You know, on paper, 50% win percentage at the net doesn't sound bad. But when you saw it in play, you could definitely tell that it, could have, it did affect him at the end of the day. So that's how Carlos Alcaraz beat Casper Ruud. And again, as, I was, as I've alluded to, Casper did well in that first set. I mean, he won the first three games. You know, I mean, Rue was able to break Alcross to love after Alcross forehand was dead in the net. So again, Casper had an idea, an inkling as to how he could beat Carlos Alcross. And Casper you got to give him credit. He really did his best to um, 
top that of Carlos Alcaraz. And Carlos Alcaraz in those first three games, you could definitely see him not do that well at the baseline. Obviously, he would adjust and whatnot, but Kasparud, if Kasparud was just able to keep Carlos Alcaraz relegated to the baseline, uh, make sure that even if Carlos Alcaraz did hit a drop shot at the baseline, that he was able to push it back to the baseline, Carlos Kasparud, if he, if he was just able to do all of that, and then some, I think you would see a different result for Kasparud. Uh, but that just wasn't the case. you know. And it all culminated to 3-1. And while Kasparud won that game, there's definitely glimpses where you could tell that Alcaraz could manage to win against Kasparud. Uh, there was a law by Alcaraz, which is successful as Rude can't properly manage to smash it. Alcaraz saves a love hole to make a deuce. That was one of the many instances where Alcaraz was able to sort of get the better Kasparud early on in that set. And while it didn't lead to him winning the game, it definitely showed you that Alcaraz can handle himself and can position himself to win in these big matches. And hopefully we'll be able to see that in the future as well. And then later on in that same game, there was a passing shot by Alcaraz, which allowed it to be advantage. So... That shows you that Alcraz is willing to win. And while he was down a love hole, I was down love 40, he was able to come to come back to make a deuce and then advantage him uh, to make it, you know, to make it advantage Alcraz. So again, even though he did lose that game, it really showed you that Alcraz still had the potential to take it even further. And while it was 4-1, that's where the buck stopped for Kasparud. And as I've said before, he won six out of the next seven games to win that set 7-5. And it really shows you Alcross's ability to do well the net, play well the net, but also shows you how he's willing to sort of get Kasparud out of his comfort zone. When you saw Kasparud moving around the baseline, it, was, it wasn't a man that you thought could control the pace of the ball. You know, when you saw Kasparud, you know, coming from one side of the wing to the next side of the wing, or to the other side of the wing, when you saw Kasparud going to the net, and there was a shot, I don't know at what point it was, but there was a passing shot that Alcaraz hit that Kasparud thought it would be out. It was in. And you just saw Kasparud just feel so astonished by it. And what it really gave you the inclination was, is that one person was ready to compete, and ready to put it all on the line. And while the other person, Kastrud, was willing to do the same thing, it just wasn't in fruition. And it wasn't as successful as he thought it would be. And that's something that is important, very important to sort of distinguish. Alcross just seemed more hungry. You know, he seemed more in step, in line with what he wanted to do. And he really achieved what he set out to do, which was to be able to take that first set and take that second set and, and win in a pretty sort of apparent fashion. You got to give Casper his credit, though. You got to give Casper his credit. There are times in that match where he could have easily just phoned it in, where could have easily just threw in the towel, you know, for lack of a better term. But he didn't do that, and as a result, he gave a pretty competitive second set. So you got to give credit where credit is due. You know, obviously in that second set, he did have some form of an injury. You know, he did have some form of an injury. Uh, I think it was his lower back. I, I would say. Um, can I? I'm just reading here. Sorry. Uh, second set. Yeah. So he gets the break, which obviously that matters. You know, he got the break to make it three-one. Uh, but again, 
yeah, uh, he had hip issues. I, I was, I, I took so many notes down, so I'm very, very sorry. Uh, I did release a video on my podcast clips channel, so uh, go check that out. I, it's on my podcast clips channel. It's it, it's titled "How Carlos Alcaraz." Uh, had a historic Miami, Miami Miami Open final. I can never say Miami Open final. It's just so many syllables and so many. I I just can't. I can't say Miami Open final. It's just so hard for me to say it. I don't know why. It's just so hard for me to say. Uh, but yes, go check out that video out. I I, de I detail the match in a very more uh, in a very more expansive way than say what I'm doing right now. So go check it out if you haven't already. But yes, uh, he had uh, hip issues. You know, he had to talk to the physio and whatnot, but he was still able to, able to compete and good for him because he was able to get a break. And while he wasn't able to really expand on that break, while he wasn't able to sort of carry that momentum, if you will, he was still able to make it competitive. So you got to give Casper his credit for that. Uh, and I think that is where that second set, I'm not, I, I covered it in my podcast clips uh, videos, so go check it out. But there are times in that in that second set where I was like, "Wow, this is something else." By by Carlos Alcaraz, I mean that kick served by Alcaraz, which couldn't be returned by Rude. That was amazing. That made it thirty love. Um, you know, Alcaraz holding as Rude ground stroke is dead in the net. I mean, that's something that would be apparent with Casper Rude, especially in that second set, where he just wasn't able to keep it in control. You know, there are times where he could have hit a down the line backhand or down the line forehand which could have easily been a winner but it wasn't within the confines of that singles court and as a result you saw Carlos Alcaraz really take it in stride and take advantage of the miscues and mister and miss miss errors misdirects by Casper Ruud and you got to give him his credit you know he's only 18 years old he won his first Masters 1000 tournament uh, people like to sort of compare and contrast Carlos Alcaraz's game with that of Rafa Nadal's. I don't know if I would do that. I just don't. I do think that he is a lot better than a lot of these players that have been on the tour for quite some time, especially the current generation, which is like the Sitsipasas, the Zverevs. Uh, I, I think he has the ability to pass the of the, of say Zverev and Sitsipas. And I feel like he's already on his way to do that. Uh, you know, I, I know it may not be the best opinion to say. I know it may not be the best thing to hear. But I do think that Carlos Alcaraz, within the next year or so, could pass that of, say, Zverev and Tsitsipas. And I think if it's all said and done, I mean, knock, knock on wood, but there's a good chance that if he's able to continue this progression... He could compete with that of, say, Novak Djokovic and Federer and Nadal. You know, I don't know if he's going to win 20 majors. That may be wishful thinking on my part, but he can definitely win multiple majors. And I think he has the best likelihood of doing that, as opposed to, say, that of, of Zverev and Tsitsipas and people that have been doing well but haven't been able to win yet. So I feel like that's a very, very important thing to at least sort of discuss and, and hopefully... Uh, I will be able to discuss that in my next podcast episode. You know, what is the likelihood of Carlos Alcross winning multiple majors? Leave some comments down below as to how you think or what your overall thoughts and opinions on that are. You know, if, do you think Carlos Alcross will, will win multiple majors? Do you think he'll be able to 
compete with that or say Nadal, Joker, and Federer, leave a comment down below. I want to hear your thoughts and opinions on it. Uh, I'll try to do my best to respond to each and every one of them. So yes, that's that's where I'll leave it off at that with the discussion on Carlos Alcross and Kasper Ruud. Uh, let's get into our next bit of discussion here, shall we? So this was this news popped up on Friday, Saturday, I would say. Friday, uh, it's April 4th. This He tweeted this out on April 2nd, so Saturday. Uh, let's get into it. Uh, Daniil Medvedev will be out for one to two months due to a hernia injury. Uh, he tweeted out on Saturday, Hi everyone, the last months I have been, pl- I have been playing with a small hernia. Together with my team, I have decided to have a small procedure done to fix the problem. I will likely be out for the next one to two months and will work hard to be back on the court soon. Thanks for all the support. And obviously, if you're a fan of tennis, if you're a fan of the sport of tennis, if you're a fan of parody within the ATP, this stings, right? You want to see Daniil Medvedev play. Hopefully, he's able to come back. But to be out for the next two months, to skip out on Roland Garros, it's bad. It, it really is bad. Obviously, Daniil Medvedev, he has a love-hate relationship with Clay. You know, there are times where he'll do extremely well on Clay. Like last year, he reached the quarterfinal. He reached. He he faced off against Stefan Tsitsipas, who would eventually face against Rafa Nadal at the final. Roland Garros or Djokovic against at, at Roland Garros final. Sorry about that, Djokovic, not Nadal. But there are times where he does pretty bad on Clay. You know, like the 2020 French Open. So again, there are times where he does well. There are times where he does bad. He has a very love hate relationship with Clay, but it does sting. It does sting with Clay. You know, it does sting that we're not able to see Daniil Medvedev play because it means one less talented player being able to play on the circuit. And if you're a fan of competitiveness, if you're a fan of tight play on, on the tour, if you're a fan of, you know, having better, interesting players and matchups, then you want to see Daniil Medvedev play. And to see him be out for a hernia injury, it does sting um, and it does hurt. I thought there was something wrong with Daniel Medvedev based off how he played at Acapulco and, and just how I saw him play in that. So maybe that gave you some I, that gave me some form of inclination as to how I how I would process and understood that Daniel Medvedev was not at his A game. But again, you know, it does sting. You know, it does hurt. So when you see this, you know, my overall thoughts and opinions on this are, you know, hopefully when you're able to see Daniel Medvedev play on grass or for Wimbledon that you give him his support and his love. You know, there have been times, especially in that Australian Open final, where he wasn't treated right. Uh, there are times where you just see the Australian Open audience just heckle him. And now is the time to support him. You know, you know, with obviously we don't, I don't have to get into the political side, you know, with the Russia-Ukraine thing. But right now it's very important to support, you know, players uh, for what they've done on the court. And with Din- with Daniil Medvedev, he's one of the better players within his generation. I mean, he's definitely better than that of Tsitsipas. He's definitely that better than that of Zverev. Uh, he's won a major. You know, that's very, very important to see. You know, that's something that Zverev and Tsitsipas cannot say about themselves. So give him your best support. You know, I mean, he's playing at Wimbledon. You know, he still has to denounce his allegiance to Russia for the Wimbledon organizers, so that remains to be seen. That's a dumb, dumb thing that Wimbledon did. Uh, go check out my videos on my podcast clip channel uh, where I discuss where I discuss that. 
But apparently uh, he needs to denounce his Russia affiliation and, you know, he's not able to play with the Russian flag, which obviously that's a very, very dumb thing. But heading back into this discussion, you know, to be out for one to two months due to a hernia injury, uh, hopefully he's able to get better and hopefully we're not able to see the remnants of that injury when he comes back to play. Because that would just be horrible to see. And more importantly, that's not something that we want to see as tennis fans. So hopefully he's able to take this next few, these next few months off. And we're just able to see better play by, by Daniil Medvedev. And hopefully he's able to, to reach back to the acclaim that we've been seeing from him in the past few months or so. So yeah, that's just my overall thoughts and opinions on the Daniil Medvedev situation, if you will. Obviously it does sting, it does hurt. Uh, hopefully we're able to see more uh, Daniel Medvedev in the next few uh, next few years because he is a very, very interesting person, uh, very, very interesting dude. Whenever you see him on the court, uh, you see the audience have a visceral reaction to Daniel Medvedev. Whether it's positive or negative, it's a visceral reaction, and not many people on the circuit can do that. Uh, not many people on the tour can do that. So to see him play, to see him perform, you know, that's something that we'll, we will be missing from him until June. So uh, be on the lookout for that. Um, but yeah, I mean, to miss out on Roland Garros, I remember back in like the 90s. I know this is, I'm sort of deviating away from this topic, but I remember back in the 90s, like people skipped out on the French Open routinely. Like there are times where Sampras would skip out on the French Open because it wasn't ideal for his serve and volley style. Now the the it's sort of changed, and now you know being able to play the net is sort of a prerequisite to play on clay. Back in the day, like the clay surface was not ideal for Sampras's play whatsoever, and you know I feel like for some players they just have to play on these surfaces, even though they know it's not going to be in their comfort zone, right? Like Roger Federer does not do well on clay; he just doesn't. You know, I mean, he's won, he's won a French Open, so once. But on clay, it's not the case whatsoever uh, for Roger Federer. Uh, there are times where you'll see Rafa Nadal uh, at... Actually, no, I mean, Rafa Nadal does well on, on each and every surface. But uh, there are times where you'll see, say, Andy Murray. You know, Andy Murray did horrible on clay. You know, Andy Murray... Uh, was far more better suited for hard court and for grass than that of clay. And uh, it, it's a very eclectic taste. You know, clay is a very eclectic, eclectic taste. But for Rafa Nadal, does not do as well as, say, indoor hard court as he does on clay. I mean, he still does well in indoor hard court. I mean, uh, uh, Rafa is still better than 99% of the ATP tour. But in indoor hard court or on the indoor hard court, uh, it was very sort of night and day with that of, say, clay. Uh, so, you know, obviously people had their weaknesses, they have their quirks, they have their idiosyncrasies, if you will, and that was definitely one of them for for uh, for Sampras and for Medvedev as well. So, uh, obviously, you know, when you see this news about Daniil Medvedev, you know, the, my overall thoughts and opinions on this are always the same. You know, you don't want to see a player get down to, due to an injury. You know, there are times where... In the past few years or so, injuries have taken a toll on players. We've seen that with, you know, Juan Martin Del Potro. We've seen that with Walrinka. We've seen that with Nadal in 2015. You know, 
It wasn't until we saw him back in 2017 where we're like, okay, this is a return to form with Nadal. Um, but yeah, you know, there have been times where we've seen injuries sort of get the better of tennis players. I mean, Andy Murray has not been the same ever since that hip injury. You know, so th- those are very, very important things to sort of take note of. Hopefully this is not like that. He's only out for one for like two months max. So that's good. That's good to hear. Uh, there is some good news to it, but I, d- I just don't want to see um, players, you know, lose due to injury. You know, that's not something that I really want to see out of players. Uh, I don't think it's really beneficial. Uh, I-, I just don't. I just don't think that whatsoever. And if you're a fan of the sport, if you're a fan of of just good play in general, then you don't want to see that either. You know, it's, it's not good news whatsoever. You know, it's not something that we should really sort of support or rally behind. You know, whenever I see people support injury or whenever I see somebody, and this is sort of to a lesser extent, but whenever I see somebody uh, support a double fault, it's like, what are you doing here? This is just schadenfreude. This is just schadenfreude. So that's my uh, thoughts and opinions on Daniel Medvedev and him being out for two months due to a hernia injury. Not good news whatsoever if you're a fan of the sport of tennis, if you're a fan of just good competitive play as it is. Uh, just not good news whatsoever. All right, let's get into comedy news. We'll get into the comedy news, news outside of the tennis world, shall we? Uh, Louis C.K. won a Grammy. Awesome, I love it. Uh, so the Grammys happened uh, yesterday. It ran for three and a half hours. I didn't watch it. I'm just recapping who won, and there was only one person that I really cared about winning, and that was Lucy K. Obviously, I didn't really care about him winning, but the fact that he won, that's great. I love it. I mean, I did not know he was nominated for a Grammy. Uh, apparently, he was nominated for his 2020 album, Sincerely, which I bought and downloaded, and um, go w- listen to it. Go watch it if you haven't. It was his first uh, ever special that he released after the Me Too accusations happened. So I had to support him because of that, because I knew the accusations were definitely stretched out. They were definitely fabricated. Uh, he asked for consent uh, before he jerked off. So I don't get why he got me too'd. It definitely seemed like an offense that was not as as bad as, say, Harvey Weinstein or, or that of, say, uh, Cosby or any of these individuals that are sort of synonymous with that movement and with that era within the entertainment industry. So when I saw him go, when I saw him win, uh, I was like, "Yeah, that's that's that should happen. He should win. That was the best album out of the albums that were nominated. I mean, look at the albums that were nominated. Besides Nate Bargatze, I mean, Nate Bargatze, a great comedian. Go check him out. Clean comic, great. I love him. He was also nominated. So I would say that if Nate Bargatze won, I wouldn't be mad about it. Uh, but look at the names that were nominated." Uh, Lavelle Crawford, I never heard of her. Uh, she might be good, so I'm not going to put any just judgment. Chelsea Handler, what are we doing? She she got nominated. Why? She's not. I mean, I don't know about her comedy style. You know, I'm not in her demographic. You know, so who am I to judge? But I mean, Louis C.K. is a way funnier com- comedian than that than that of Chelsea Handler. I I would even think Chelsea Handler would agree to that as well. So, yeah, Chelsea Handler nominated. Lewis Black, uh, I, I haven't really listened to him, uh, so I don't know. Kevin Hart, Zero Fs Given, was also nominated. I think that was the special where he released it in his home. So, I mean, 
what are we doing here? Uh, so, yeah, I mean, Louis C.K. sincerely was the best special nominated. Uh, I wouldn't be mad. I wouldn't have been mad if Nate Bargatze won, but again, Louis C.K. sincerely was a great special. Go check it out. Uh, I prefer Sorry. I thought Sorry was a better special than Sincerely, but again, you know, different strokes for different folks. You know, Sincerely, Sincerely is still a great special. You know, I'm not going to put it past it against anyone. So it should have won. What I found weird was that it was released in 2020, but it was nominated for the 2022 Grammy Awards, which I thought to be kind of weird. I mean, shouldn't have been nominated for 2021. If so, it would have easily won that category as well. But again, you know, that's that's the only part that really saved the Grammys. I mean, the Grammys was a war fest. That's what I hear. And I was on Twitter, you know, like I always do. I have a problem. I'm always on Twitter each and every day. I need to focus on on not being on Twitter. But I was on Twitter and no one was talking about the Grammys. Not one person. Like like I was on the like I was like on like the Twitter trends. Like it was WrestleMania and that's about it. It was like just everything affiliated with that of WrestleMania, like Pat McAfee, Edge, AJ Styles, nothing on the Grammys. Maybe my sort of Twitter sort of tailored to not focus on the Grammys. Maybe that's the case, but I was not like it was not trending whatsoever. It was not like being talked about. Obviously, like the BTS army was discussing it, which I mean, they're always in a fritz. They're always in a frenzy. So sure, maybe they were talking about it, but overall, no one was really talking about it. No one was really discussing it. Um, even the album of the year, like people were like, "What that one?" <laughs> like, I, I, I've never listened to John Baptiste, so I'm not going to judge it. But I mean, Donda was nominated. That album was pretty good. Not going to lie, I listened to it again. The first time I listened to Donda, I was like, "What is this?" But after some time, I'm like, "This album is not that bad." I mean, it's. Not the worst Kanye album ever released. There were definitely moments in it where it definitely did slog, don't get me wrong. But overall, with the albums that were nominated in that same category, I mean, you had Billie Eilish, Happier Than Ever. Uh, I mean, Donda, I thought, was the better, was probably the best album in that category. It wasn't my favorite, but I thought it was the best album and nominated in that category. That only won, like, Donda only won, like, two awards that night. Uh, Tyler the Creator won an award for Best Rap Album of the Year, which I thought that was the right thing to do i mean that was the best album uh that was uh, that was my weekly pick that i nominated like seven eight months ago so uh go check that out on my podcast clips channel and on my podcast channel um but yeah overall the grammys it shows you that the industry doesn't matter as long as you have the fans as long as you have the people it doesn't matter what the industry thinks of you and when i think of comedians where that happens to be be the case i think of louis ck Louis C.K. still has fans. Even after those Me Too accusations, he still has a legion of fans that are willing to support him and willing to, willing to pay him for the special that he releases. And that's great. You know, I'm one of those individuals. I'm a person that will still buy Louis C.K. specials because I love Louis C.K. And I have no, no sort of denial about that. You know, there, there was a time where I tweeted out, you know, my support for Louis C.K. I had a screenshot of me, you know, paying money, and I got lambasted on Twitter. Like, I got torn to shreds on Twitter. Like, I saw so many people reply to me saying, Insta-block. It's like, I can't read your tweets. You know, you're only doing this to virtue signal. If you want to block me, just block me. Don't tweet about it. Like, at all. Like, if you're going to block me, just do it. There, there's no reason to virtue signal. 
But I remember I tweeted out, you know, something and I saw like people that I knew say, are you going to delete it or whatnot? I'm like, no, I'm not going to delete my love for for comedy. You know, I'm not going to delete a tweet knowing that the person that got accused of this didn't do what they're saying he did. You know, I'm still going to show my love for Louis C.K. I'm still going to show my love for good comedy because at the end of the day, I still love good comedy. You know, I like black and blue comedy like Louis C.K. I also, I also like clean comedy. You know, I like Nate Bargatze. I like Ryan Hamilton. I just love good comedy. And for me, I have no issue supporting that of Louis C.K. You know, I mean, what he did was not that bad. You know, it wasn't. Like, what he did pales in comparison to what Roman Polanski did. It, it pales in comparison to what, you know, what Woody Allen did. You know, it pales in comparison to what, you know, a, a Harvey Weinstein did. You know, obviously, like, if Roman Polanski made a film, I'm not going to support it. I'm not going to financially support it. I might, I'm probably going to watch it because I do like Chinatown. I do like Rosemary's Baby, but I'm not going to financially, you know, help out Roman Polanski. Why would I do that? You know, it, again, you know, what Louis C.K. did is nothing. Like, it was literally nothing. It was all gossip. It was nothing whatsoever. So I have no problem helping out Louis C.K. I really have no problem whatsoever. Maybe me sending a screenshot of me supporting him, that maybe that was like a bit too far, I would say. But still, I'm not going to take that tweet down. I support it. I support that special. I thought the special was great. Sorry, that was sorry was a great special. Sincerely, it was also a great special as well. But sorry, that's the tweet that I got in trouble with. But I'm still going to have that tweet up. It's still up on my Twitter, you know. I, but again, I'm not going to. I'm not going to delete a tweet just because some people from the woke mob want me to, you know, for lack of a better term. So uh, I love Louis C.K. He should have won that Grammy, and I'm happy for him, you know, because good comedy will always prevail. And that's what I realized. Good comedy will always prevail. You saw that with the Shane Gillis special. You saw that with Louis C.K.'s recent special. At the end of the day, funny always Funny will always win. Cream rises to the top. I know it's very sort of easy to say that, and 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 you know it's it sort of you sort of believe in a fairy tale when you say good comedy wins. But I truly believe in that. I think good comedy wins at the end of the day. And when you see the success of Shane Gillis' special. When you see the success of Louis C.K. and how people now more than ever want want to see him perform comedy, I mean that's great to see. It really is. So I'm happy for Louis. I'm happy that he won. And overall, the Grammys they don't matter. They don't. They really don't. And as long as you have the people, that's all that matters. But hey, it's it's the cherry on top. You know, it's it's it doesn't hurt, but it definitely does help. And, and and that's what the Grammys are about right now. Like, all the people that were nominated, they have fan bases. You know, I mean, Olivia Rodrigo, she has a fan base. Billie Eilish, she has a fan base. Kanye, she, uh, she, she has a fan base. Uh, Tyler, the creator, they have a fan base. Uh, no, I'm kidding. Uh, they all have fan bases. You know, I mean, they all have a group of people that are willing to pay money for merch for their tour so does the Grammy matter as much as, as as the industry believes it does? Probably not. It probably doesn't. For some people, sure. I mean, for Trevor Noah, a, a Grammy probably does matter. But for Louis C.K., it doesn't matter. And this shows that at, at the end of the day, as long as you have the people, that's what matters. You know, because 
the industry, they can cancel it at any moment in time. But the, but, but the people, it's different. You know, once you have the love of the people, it's hard to end that love with them. It really is. And Louis C.K., sincerely, great special, and I think you guys will love it as well. And uh, go check it out if you haven't already. I definitely bought it on the day it came out. I remember he released it during the pandemic. At the beginning of the pandemic, it was at the same time as WrestleMania. I remember that. That was a good week, by the way. That was a good weekend because he had Louis C.K. Sincerely, and then he had like WrestleMania right out right afterwards. So, and the fact that he won a Grammy on the same weekend as WrestleMania that was also great as well. Not gonna lie, but yes, I remember he he released it. And I was just dying laughing, like I, I was. Just, I mean, I was just. I needed that, you know, release, and I, I was happy that he released it at the time he did because. People had to talk about it, you know. I mean, that was that was that was a very sort of right place at the right time for Louis C.K. to do that. So, Louis C.K. Louis C.K. sincerely wins a Grammy. I'm happy for him. Go check it out if you haven't already. All right, let's get into news within the comedy world uh, that we can definitely discuss. Um, Gerard Carmichael released a special on HBO called Rothaniel. Uh, he released it last Friday, April first. Uh, at 9 p.m., I watched it the day afterwards, and uh, because you know it's a Friday night, I mean I have things to do on a Friday night. I had to watch the tennis as well, so uh, yeah, it was. Rothaniel was uh, he released Rothaniel, which is an hour special uh, directed by Bo Burnham. He released it in like this like jazz club. I think it's called the Blue Note Jazz Club. I, I'm not so sure. It's on the other side of the street of the Comedy Cellar in New York City. So he released it. And uh, it's not really a stand-up special. You know, it's not really a stand-up special. It was more of a sit-down special. He sat down the entire time. Uh, Bill Cosby-esque, if you will, but without the uh, sleeping pills. Um, <laughs> the, sleeping was, the sleeping pill was his special. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Just joking. All jokes. But he does come out in the special. And um, he comes out as gay. And I'm just getting this from page six. Jerron Carmichael comes out gay in new HBO uh, comedy special, um, and I'm just p- getting this from their website. Um, so stand-up comedian Jerron Carmichael comes out as gay in his new HBO special, Carmichael 34, makes the onstage reveal in Rothaniel, which premieres Friday night after sharing that he once caught his father cheating. After that was out in the open, I was left alone, felt feeling like a liar, because I had a secret. One that I kept from my father, my, f- my mother, my family, my friends, and you. Professionally, personally, and the ver- and the secret is that I'm gay. He announces. At first, the former Carmichael show, which is a great show, by the way, the Carmichael show, it ran for three seasons, back to back years, back to back to back years, in like 2015 to 2017. Go check it out. The Carmichael show is a great, great show. It dealt with issues and topics that were very akin to that of say a Norman Lear sitcom, such as All in the Family and the Jeffersons. So go check it out if you haven't already. It's a great special, and I think it's a great show. By the way, not special. Uh, it's a great show, and it's a it's one of the, my favorite sitcoms ever released. So go check it out, The Carmichael Show. Great, uh, great show if you haven't already. But just getting this from page six again. At first, the formal Carmichael Show star is met with a long silence, but then the audience eventually begins to clap in support of his transparency. I'm accepting the love. I really appreciate the love. He responds to the applause. Mike Gill wants to rebel against it. Um, later, Carmichael explained that he rebelled against his sexuality his whole life, explaining, I thought I'd never, ever come out. At many points, I thought I'd rather die than confront the truth of that. To actually say it to people, because, because I know it changes some people's perceptions of me, I can't control that. 
Rothaniel was filmed at New York City's famed Blue Note Jazz Club. So Blue Note Jazz Club, not the Blue Key Jazz Club, the Blue Note Jazz Club in February and found the comic waxing poetic over his family history and year-long reluctance to come out, revealing that while some of his relationships have thrived, others suffered due to his honesty. And in the special, he discusses how his mom and him would talk each and every day, and then once he came out, they wouldn't talk whatsoever. Uh, and yeah, that definitely does sting. That definitely does hurt. Uh, and overall, uh, I'm not going to really talk about him coming out. Obviously, you know, it's him. It's his sexuality, his choice. You know, I mean, that's if if he wants to come out, that's great. That's great. Uh, for me, you know, as a comic, my overall thoughts and opinions are, is the special funny? You know, and... Uh, there are times where it is funny. You know, I want to give him the benefit of the doubt here. There are times where it's funny. Uh, there were times where he's talking about um, how, uh, just how important it was that, you know, that black men find black women and that they have a great future with both of them. And he's like, yeah, I'm not part of that picture. <laughs> you know, he, he sort of talked bluntly about it. And um, he, saw, he talked about his parents' infidelity, how his like father was cheating on his mother so many times and how his grandfather had like 23 other children outside of his marriage to his wife which apparently his dad was a part of that like his dad was a part of those 23 children so he talks about how how infidelity runs in the family and that really changes your perception of his older specials right like love of the store he talks about how like great men cheat i think i think that it's either love of the store or eight which, by the way, I, I, I would suggest you guys check out those specials over Rothaniel. I thought those specials uh, were a little bit more sort of stand-up oriented. This is more so like, uh, I don't want to say therapy, but it's more so like a, like a experience, if you will. I, I wouldn't say it's a special. I, I, I wouldn't say it's a stand-up special, but it's more like a, a comedy experience. Uh, and some people may like that, you know. Again, you know, I feel like Gerard Carmichael is one of those individuals that sort of takes stand-up very seriously, like in a very sort of artistic way. Not autistic, but artistic. Uh, I, I think I misspoke there, but artistic. Uh, he sort of used comedy in a very sort of artistic way as an art form, which obviously there are some people that view stand-up comedy as an art form. Uh, I'm on the fringe on it. Like, I'm on the fence about it. Like, sometimes I do think stand-up comedy is an art form, but other times it's like why like how is it an art form like an art form is different than that of state of say stand-up comedy you know with art it's it's subjective with stand-up i need to get a specific reaction out of you at a specific time and if i'm not able to do that then i'm not doing my job correctly so in a lot of ways it is very objective you know it's not subjective whatsoever with Art, you know, you get a difference of emotions when you listen to or when you see art. With stand-up comedy, it's laughter. I want laughter out of you. And if I'm not able to do that, I'm not doing my job. So I don't know. I'm on the fence. Sometimes I do like to consider it an art form. Other times I'm like, it's not. Uh, but, you know, there are times, but there are comics out there that do believe it's an art form. And you definitely see that with the Draw Carmichaels, with the Bo Burnhams, with... You know, these individuals uh, that are within that sort of artsy world within HBO. You know, the people that release those artsy specials on HBO. So, Roth Daniel is definitely on par with that. 
there are parts where it's funny you know i mean i'm not gonna lie there are parts where it's definitely funny uh where he talks about how i mean his snl monologue i mean he was on snl by the way uh last saturday his snl monologue where he shies away from talking about will smith and chris rock that was amazing like i loved it and it really shows you how forward thinking he is obviously he can talk about you know will smith and chris rock and he can get that 15 seconds of fame and buzz, but he said, no, I'm going to think about 30 and 40 years ahead of now. You know, when people look at me 30 and 40 years from now, they won't have any understanding as to what transpired between Will Smith and Chris Rock. So to talk about it in the grand scheme of things and sort of the abstract way, I thought that was brilliantly done by Draw Carmichael, and it really shows you just how, how autonomous he is with his monologues because there are times where comedians will go on SNL and they'll have the writing staff write their monologues. I'm like, why? Why would you do that? This is a showcase of your stand-up prowess. This is a showcase of your stand-up ability. And even if it bombs in, at 30 Rock, it will do exceptionally well online. Like Louis C.K., there are times where Louis C.K. will do a monologue at SNL and it will not do well in the room. But people online will love it. And at the end of the day, as long as people online love it, does it really matter what the ultra hyper neoliberals and 30 Rock believe? No. So Draw Carmichael uh, really shows you that he's he is a very funny comedian. And uh, I don't think this comedy special really did him justice. I mean, I understand why he released it. And, you know, obviously there are, are funny moments in it. I'm not shying away from that. I'm not saying it's all of that serious i mean it's serious but it's not fully 100 percent serious there are times where he does bring comedy and uh you know i mean there was a lot of pauses in this special which people don't like i kind of like i do like long pregnant pauses I, I think that's quite interesting and it really does add to the comedy because there are times where you just say something at a left field and they're like wait wait what <laughs> what did you just say uh so yes there are times where he will say something out of the blue and you just got to really sort of internalize it and process it because it is quite funny to see. Uh, but yes, if you're a comedy fan, go check out Love at the Store. I thought that was a very funny special. And go check out Eight. Uh, those two specials are great to see. Uh, one of, Love at the Store is one of my favorite specials, I would say. Uh, it definitely shaped how I viewed comedy where it's like you don't have to be all wacky and zany and, and sort of physical. You can be sort of dark and deliberate and sort of focus on channel channeling your own emotions through your through your comedy so love of the store i thought was a very very touching special i remember when it was released so many people were like why is he bringing uh, no cards on stage and it's like that's kind of the norm now like a lot of comedians now showcase their videos of them flipping through their notes on stage and you know mark norman's one of those individuals so i feel like draw carmichael was one of the first individuals that actually brought notes on stage and a lot of people may hate on that but i thought it was kind of interesting you know i would never do that as a comedian but you know to see an actual comedian do that for an hbo special directed by spike lee because spike lee actually directed the special uh that was very very interesting and a change in the pattern of what we would see for specials so overall you know, Gerard Carmichael, Gerard Carmichael is a great comedian. I love him to death. Uh, and Love of the Store, I thought, did a better job at depicting his comedy than that of, say, Rothaniel. Um, 
not saying Rothaniel is a bad special. I'm just saying that Lovett's Door and Eighth were, in my opinion, better in terms of his approach to stand-up than that of, say, Rothaniel. Um, so, yeah, that's just my overall th- thoughts and opinions on Gerald Carmichael. It's great that he came out. You know, I'm happy for him. Um, but overall, uh, speaking, I-, I thought his first two specials were a little bit more funnier than that of, say, Rothaniel. And I, I-, I would even say and suggest that Gerald Carmichael would agree with that statement as well. But yes, uh, Gerard Carmichael released Rothaniel. It's on HBO. Go check it out. Bo Burnham directed it. And uh, I don't know, man. I like Bo Burnham. I do. I just don't think... I don't know. Whatever. I'll just stop while I'm ahead. But uh, yeah, there are times where I was watching it. I'm like, it's just way too close up. Like, I, I want some space. Like, I want some space between me and the performer. I don't want it so close up to the performer's face. And he does that, you know, through his recent special on Netflix. Um, but again, there are times where I'm like, this is just way too close. I, I Like, give me some time to breathe. Like, give me some moment to breathe, Bo Burnham. Like, I like Bo Burnham. I think he's a very funny comedian. Uh, I think he's a very talented individual. But again, when he directs stand-up, it's just way too close to the face. Like, there are times where I was watching that Chris Rock tambourine special. I'm like, this is just way too close. Like, I want some place to breathe. You know, it felt like that Aziz Ansari special. Uh, I think it's, like, titled right now. Where it's, like, where, again, Spike Jones directed this special. Where it's, like, so close up to his face. And you could see, like, people in the back just, like, walking back and forth and whatnot. In, like, the halls. And it's, like, I don't, like, I don't know. If you're a director... An acclaimed director, don't make stand up more than it has to be. Like, let the joke speak for itself. Let the comedy speak for itself. You don't have to add your own artistic angle to it. I mean, it's fine if you do, but again, like, as a comedian, like, my biggest thing, and for the average person, their biggest thing when they watch a stand up special is if it's funny or not. It's not about, you know, technically the art, it's about how funny it is. And that's what I like about Santa specials. You know, that's why I like Bo Burnham. That's why I like Draw Carmichael, because they're funny, not because they're artistic or they change the way Santa is. It's because of the fact they are funny comedians. You know, I feel like a lot of directors need to understand that. As long as it's funny, it doesn't matter how the angle is. It doesn't matter if it's a Dutch angle, it doesn't matter if it's a close up. What matters if it's funny. You know, and then that's the main takeaway that I want people to sort of get with. And get in line with you know as long as it's funny that's what matters uh so yeah hopefully i'm able to sort of get that preamble out of the way uh let's talk about our last topic for today shall we uh i know it's sort of an ad nauseum with that but i was just so into it that, that i know this is sort of like for inside baseball for stand-up comedians but when i talk about stand-up comedy i just get into it and yeah that's just what it is so i'm sorry i know i went over overboard on the topic but whatever Congrats to Draw Carmichael coming out. <laughs> All right. Uh, Will Smith resigned from the Academy. I'm just getting this from page six. Actually, I'll, I'll just talk about it. Uh, so Will Smith released a post saying that he's resigning from the Academy, uh, stating that uh, his actions were, were were shocking, painful, and inexcusable. And he's decided to withdraw from the Academy process so he's not he's not going to vote for any academy award members or any best picture nominees or whatnot he's still in line to be nominated for awards but his chances of being able to partake in that process which is to vote on the nominees that's no longer the case and 
he could have been expelled, but he decided to resign instead of being expelled because the names that have been expelled include Roland Polanski, Weinstein, Cosby, and Carmine Caridi. Carmine Caridi was kicked off for pirating films, which is uh, not that bad compared to what the other three individuals were accused of and have been expelled over for. So, yeah, those are the individuals that were expelled from the Academy. And overall, uh, this will be the last time I'll ever talk about Will Smith because any person that hates on comedy, I just have zero interest with you. You know, if, if you don't, if you're not able to take a joke, I, I can't relate to you. I can't side with you. I just can't. I, I, for me, like personally speaking, like I like individuals that can take a joke. You know, there are times where people would make fun of me and I try and riff with them and try and add to the jokes because at the end of the day, that's what matters. Uh, and what it really boils down to is that Will Smith is very insular. And when you have a Hollywood celeb that has never been told no, that has never been uh, said no for an answer, that has handlers and, and hanger-ons and social climbers that say yes to anything, if not everything, when you have an individual that, you know, has everybody on their, on, on that person's uh, crotch, uh, for lack of a better term, uh, to put it, you know, vanilla, um, you know, you have an individual that is turns into an egomaniac, a person that gets high off his own supply, and that's what this individual is now. That is what the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air is right now. A man that, uh, who, who really cannot have a thicker skin. Like, he, like his, his skin is so thin. It's paper thin. It's like a wheat thin. You know, it's that of, of a saltine cracker. That's Will Smith's skin. It's, it's that thin. And, and to see him act out like that, like imagine if he, if Chris Rock told a darker joke than that of G.I. Jane. Imagine if he did that. You know, like Will, I mean, I don't know, man. Will Smith, I, he should get divorced. He really should because this is not healthy for him. You should, you, you should not be rushing to the stage and, and bitch slapping people just because they told a joke you don't like. And I'm happy Chris Rock is doing well. You know, he's, he took it in stride. He took it on the chin for no pun intended, but, or he took it on the face. I think that's a better way of saying it. But I, he performed at Boston at the Wilbur Theater uh, in my backyard. Uh, and his shows were sold out and they were being resold for thousands and thousands of dollars by scalpers. So he's doing well. Um, yeah, I mean, that's no way to treat the best com- one of the best comedians of all time. It really isn't. He would not have done that to Chappelle. He would not have done that to Jason Momoa. He, sh- he would not have done that to any other comedian who happens to have a similar height to that of Will Smith. So, again, I, I, don't, like, I don't like Will Smith. The fact that he did that to one of the best comedians to ever do it, it speaks volumes as to his character and why you should not trust Will Smith whatsoever. So, uh, overall, it's good that he's not in the Academy anymore. Apparently, Netflix and several other production companies have halted Will Smith movies from releasing. They will probably release it in the future uh, once the smoke dies down. But again, this is no healthy way to treat a comedian. And Chris Rock, overall, uh, has been doing it. Quite well. He did not address it at all at his Boston shows. I mean, he talked about it. Like he said, he's still processing it, but he's not talking about it whatsoever now. And I think, I know people don't like it. You know, other comedians may not like it, but hey, 
you know, he has his own material. He has his own hour that he wants to build off of. You know, he doesn't want to add anything more to it. You know, who knows? This new hour special that he may release either this year or next year, it probably will be better than that of, say, King Richard. You know, I like King Richard, but I'm a fan of comedy first and foremost. So, yeah, that's that's where I'll sort of end it off with that. You know, Chris Rock, one of the best comedians to ever do it. And, you know, his HBO specials are a testament to that. So I, I'm, it's sad to see see one of the best to ever do it be, I wouldn't say emasculated like this because, I mean, Chris Rock, him reacting the way he reacted, that was the most masculine thing I've ever seen ever. He didn't touch his face whatsoever. He did not, you know, sort of end the show. He moved on. He said the show must go on, and he did. And he and he. He flubbed a line. He said the best documentary, when it, which when it should have been said, uh, the best uh, the Oscar for best documentary. I'm flubbing my own lines, by the way. Uh, but yes, yes, uh, Chris Rock, he he's one of the best to ever do it in terms of comedy, and I'm I'm happy how he's sort of processing this and how he reacted to it all. And overall, he seems like an angel. You know, he really does. And Comedy will always prevail. You know, I've seen a lot of individuals that were on Will Smith's side sort of deviate towards Chris Rock's side and not sort of side with Will Smith. At the end of the day, comedy will always win. And I'm happy to see Chris Rock do well. Having uh, mentioned Chris Rock, today's weekly pick, each and every week I recommend a book, a piece of art, a film, sometimes a special, most oftentimes a special, honestly, uh, that I really enjoy that I think you guys will enjoy as well. This week, I'll be recommending Chris Rock's Bring the Pain. Uh, this was released in 1996, two years before I was born. I was born in 98. So if I'm recommending a special that was released two years before I was born, it's got to be good. And this was an amazing special. This really changed everything. Like, it really did. Not only for Chris Rock, but for stand-up comedy in general. Because, you know, at this time, uh, stand-up comedy... Uh, it was, it was, obviously, you had your Andrew Dice Clays, you know, you had your George Carlin's, but I felt like this was a turning point within comedy because it really showed you that it could be a little bit more sort of blue, but also very sort of physical and, and sort of out there as well. And Chris Rock's Bring the Pain is a great special. Obviously, the best bit of his, of Chris Rock's career is Black People versus N-Words. You know, he says, whenever black people are just trying to do their thing, and words come in and just mess it all up. Now, obviously, I say in very vanilla terms, in very clean terms, but the way he does it in his reenactments and the way that he's able to sort of be more sort of exaggerated within his bits, it shows you why Chris Rock is one of the best to ever do it. And the way he's just able to walk on that stage and get everyone invested and involved in that joke. Because, because again, he did this in a theater. Right, there are times where you'll you'll watch a comedian, and it's it's difficult to really engage with that comedian because you're just so far away from him. But with Chris Rock, when I'm watching the special, I feel like I'm there watching it live. His his bits age like wine, and this was his first HBO special, first one hour HBO special since since uh, Big Ass Jokes, which he released in like '94. But still. This first HBO special that he released shows you why he's one of the best to ever do it. And there was a documentary that I think Wanda Sykes produced and made. And they asked Chris Rock if he still stands behind that joke. He's like, yeah, I, I mean, I may have changed. I might have I might have changed it. But overall, I still stand behind it. I still think it's a great bit. And he's right. 
he's right. That bit aged like wine. And it's up there with that of, say, Bill Burr's Gold Dingy Horse bit. It's up there with Dave Chappelle uh, sprinkled crack on a uh, black person when a cop sprinkles uh, crack on a black person. Uh, it's up there with George Carlin's Seven Words You Can't Say. It's one of the best bits in stand-up comedy history. And this special, Bring the Pain, is one of the best specials to ever been released. And I want people to watch it. You know, I don't want the slat to be Chris Rock's career. I want his art, uh, his specials to be that. And that's Bring the Pain. It's bigger and blacker. It's that. I want people to rec- to sort of understand that he ha- he's a great stand-up comedian and that people should watch him for that. And I think people are. So go check it out. Chris Rock's Bring the Pain, a great special. One of the, one of the best specials ever, ever released, ever made. And... If it's on YouTube right now, I think the whole one hour special is on YouTube, so I'll, I'll I'll put a link in the description box below. But other than that, guys, thanks so much for watching. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks thanks so much for watching. Uh, make sure you like, subscribe, and click the bell icon for notifications down below. Make sure you subscribe to both my podcast channel, my podcast clips channel. Make sure you uh, spread the word on iTunes and WhatsApp. And leave a comment down below on any of the topics that I discuss, whether it's Will Smith, Gerard Carmichael, Louis C.K., Daniil Medvedev, whether it's Calls All Cross or even that of my weekly pick. Leave a comment down below on any of your questions, comments, concerns. I'll do my best to respond to them. And that's about it for me. So, guys, thank you so much for watching. Thank you so much for listening. I don't know what I'll be discussing Thursday. Maybe some more tennis, maybe some more news outside of my tennis world as well. But that's about it for me. So, guys, thanks so much for watching. Thanks so much for listening. And I'll see you guys on Thursday with a new podcast. All right, guys, that's about it. Peace. See y'all.